the message of hope we've got, the gospel we carry, is crucial. And I had debates in those early days, like, should I be outside? Should I be doing this? Is it an essential, you know, essential workers? Should I be? And a lot of us as leaders and, and Christians were like, well, the gospel is essential work, isn't it? The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Esther Hyam. The Profile is the show where we sit down with a well-known Christian to hear more about their life, their faith and ministry. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. The monthly title features more interviews just like this one, the latest news, reviews, columnists and more. To request a free sample copy of the latest issue, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today on the programme, I'm speaking to the Reverend Pat Allerton, who's the vicar of St Peter's, Notting Hill in London, but he's better known as the Portable Priest. He rose to public attention during lockdown when he began cycling around his parish, leading simple street corner services of just a hymn and a prayer. He built up a following on social media and was featured by the national papers, who, to be fair, gave as much attention to his Eton education and his good looks as much as his message of hope in Jesus. Two years on, he's using his following to post short reflections on Instagram and has written a book, A Pocket Full of Hope, a simple A to Z of faith for those who haven't yet found it. Like all good stories, I asked him to start at the beginning. What was life like growing up? There was no talk of religion at all in the Allerton household. I mean, it was just, it wasn't that there was antagonism towards it or the idea of faith, but it just wasn't there and no one had it. Um... I mean, my dad claimed he had it, and I'm, I'm sure he did have something, but it didn't quite manifest for us, although I think we did go to Sunday school a couple of times because the Sunday school teacher can remember me. But, um, yeah, it just wasn't really a feature, a factor, so didn't grow up with it. So I, I, for me, faith was not something I was opposed to or that I had particularly strong opinions about. It was just the classic um, fact that faith was irrelevant and God just wasn't on my radar um for for many years so so what was the foundation of family life what what did what did you believe in as a family um it's a good question i don't really know i mean we were yeah we were very happy the first nine years of my life i just remember as being sort of very uh stable very happy everything going well and then sort of uh we hit the buffers a bit um you know, very sadly, my dad's business was defrauded. So financially, we hit the buffers and that um, upset the a- apple cart a lot. Um, my parents' marriage hit the buffers and um, they got divorced. Um, and it all happened very quickly. And so suddenly there was quite a lot of trauma and a lot of change. And uh, before then, I don't know, we'd just been sort of cruising along, I think. You know, just new, running around, you know, burning off a lot of energy messing about with my brother and um, all of our friends and playing lots of sport and enjoying school. was away at boarding school from the age of seven. So um, was generally just charging about and not thinking too deeply about things. So how did those two, that, that, that twin trauma then of your dad's business and your parents' marriage, how did that affect you as a young, as a young lad? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was yeah, very hard, uh, obviously, um, when the sort of, 
foundation of, of your life really in your world um sort of crumbles falls apart um and it was it was very hard and it was yeah very sad in lots of ways but i think i didn't i don't know i didn't really know how to deal with it um and i was away from home quite a lot of the time at boarding school and i think if i'm honest i probably just buried it and sort of um you know um shoveled it under the the carpet um under the rug and I, yeah, wasn't aware of how it was affecting me, I don't think, for years to come. But I think in my teenage years, I got quite angsty and quite, you know, there was always a sort of nagging um, insecurity in me, I think, which stemmed, I think, from those, those days and those events, which didn't actually get dealt with till um, I was about 22, um, 23, when I talk about it in the book, actually, when God just did a remarkable healing in my heart and showed me sort of when this this angst and this um, insecurity had sort of entered my system. Um, so Amazing to be able to deal with that, actually, at a relatively young age in your early 20s, because a lot of guys carry that into their 40s, 50s, even later, don't they? Yeah. I, I mean, it's like life throws so many things our way, doesn't it? And, I, you know how we're just not we're not born with the skills to deal with them you know we need to be helped and coached and or things to be revealed and you know i i now on the other side you know having come to faith at 18 you know i, I don't know how the world deals with things i don't know you know what would my if i was 40 i'm 43 now if i was 43 and had gone on my merry way or not so merry way not having faith how would i be de dealing with things um what would i be like today how would i have dealt with things and i yeah i just don't understand what people do how they get through life without god i am really <laughs> curious about eton so this is the place where you know most of our prime ministers have come from and business leaders and all this sort of thing what was that like to, to grow up in and did that come with a set of expectations um i guess you know it's it's only when you get the other side of it i think that you sort of realize what you've been you know had the opportunity to be part of and you know the privilege it is to get a good you know quality education anywhere is such a privilege in our world isn't it but when you're going through it you don't really know any difference you know when you're 13 and you're moving on you're just like oh i'm just going to big school and if, in my head okay i knew like okay eaton's one of the big schools you know that's where um mom and dad want to send us okay that's what's happening um <laughs> And, you know, was lucky enough that to get in, I only actually got onto the waiting list. I got stuck during the, the exam, the entry test, stuck on a question halfway through and didn't move on stupidly and spent the I rest of the I bet you can remember what that question was as well, can't you? I, it didn't traumatise me that much, but it definitely hindered my marks. Um, so I didn't complete the paper and I only got to the waiting list. My brother was already there and I wanted to go and join him. But I, I, I didn't know much about it before I got there. You just thought, OK, well, I've gone to this school. Now we're going to that school. But then the longer you go through life, the more you're kind of like, it's a kind of pretty ridiculous place and opportunity and privilege to have had. Um, and some people are really into, you know, really into it and all their chat for the rest of their days is about it. And that sort of, I'm not so much like that. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of my best friends still, oldest friends are friends from there. And I'm so grateful for the friends I made there, the life experiences I had there um the things i learned but you know I, 
I don't know. Uh, I don't quite do the sort of uh, the Ethan Harrow banter chat as as much as some some of my. Um, um, What's it like spiritually buddy. there? Because I imagine it's all sort of quite high chapel and choir and all that sort of thing. Did did you sense anything of the presence of God there at all, or does it feel like a spiritually dry place? Or weren't you thinking about that? Again, I think it was like the whole spiritual religious thing was ironically irrelevant to me till I was 17, 18 and began to ask all these deeper questions. But um, I say ironic because I sang in choirs at both schools from like my junior school. I was like in the choir from seven, you know, upwards, um, a chorister. And then at Eton, I was in the Eton College Chapel Choir as a chorister for my first year. So I spent hundreds of hours, you know, extra hours beyond what my, my mates were doing in chapel, you know, singing, rehearsing, and then performing and being part of the choir. Um, but it just, again, just sort of felt, oh, this is interesting, but I wasn't connecting. I was just, my eyes were, I was blind, you know, I, I didn't see. My eyes were closed, my ears were, were blocked, my heart was hard. I was just spiritually dead to those things. So if there was anything going on, I wasn't really picking up on it. And generally at chapel, you just try and catch your mate's eye and try and make him laugh or someone would fart and, you know, that would get the whole place giggling. And that's what you look forward to most in these in these places of, of high worship. Desperate and, and, times when that's the uh, all you're looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Um, so what so, happened then? So so things did start to change for you at the age of 17. What what precipitated that? What what started the change? How did that feel for you as a 17 year old who'd never really thought about the bigger questions of life? What was going on? Well, I think I just started. I don't know. It's, it's almost like a conscience began to develop in me. Not that I didn't have a, a moral code beforehand, but I guess I was. I was acting out a lot of stuff, you know, the classic phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And I was carrying some hurt in me and it would make me defensive at times. And I put up walls and I, it was sort of survival of the fittest. So I would sometimes hurt those around me or I'd, you know, push back. And um, so I suddenly began, you know, became aware, I think, when I was 17 of like, you know, asking like, am I a nice person? What am I like? Why do I do this? And, and why am I doing that? And, you know, I was did a bit of drinking at school and started getting into drugs a bit and um, used to smoke a lot of weed. And I remember just distinctly just thinking, gosh, if I got busted like smoking weed in my room at school, like with my mates, I was like, if we get busted and I get expelled, that is going to be so gutting for my mum and my dad. And I remember just feeling so bad about it and growing this conscience. And then from there, becoming aware of like, and what about the other stuff I'm doing wrong? Or like, am I being a nice person? Or, and just as these questions came along, they started getting bigger. Like, and what's, you know, what's right and wrong anyway? And is there a God? And how do we know? And why are we here? And what happens when we die? And am I in trouble in God's sight? I started having these big, you know, the big questions of life. Um, and I just realized I don't have any answers for this, for this stuff. Um and so I started going on a journey, just like looking into faith and religion and, you know, different faiths and reading books and suddenly turning up the radio when it would talk about faith or religion and what, listening to what people said and the claims of like, what is Islam about? What's Hinduism about? Buddhism, you know, that's quite trendy. What, what, what do they say? And then my like best mate at school who we played, you know, a lot of sport together in classes together. He was a Christian. He came to faith a couple of years earlier than me, um, Dave. And 
I started quizzing him and grilling him and like, what's it about? And why do you believe? And what's God like? How can we know him? And then I'd be like, and what about UFOs? You know, because I'm convinced aliens have the answer. You know, so I was going down all these tracks. But so I was taking, the interest was growing. And he began taking me to, to church and Christian Union at school and then church in London um, to Holy Trinity Brompton and um, other places. And, um, and as I heard the talks, I was like, oh, this is making sense of the world around us, the world around me. And it's seemingly answering the questions I've got about life and about identity and meaning. And so just started going on that, on that journey. Um, but you and, had a moment, didn't you, as well, where you just thought, yeah, this is it, I'm in. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, Dave invited me on this camp with a wonderful organisation called the Stewards Trust um, at, in the Easter holidays before our A-levels, so last year at school. And um, I didn't have much else to do other than revision, so I thought, yeah, I'll go with you. Um, so I went along and I was there that I just saw, I think, Christian community uh, up close and personal. I saw these about 100 teenagers or 80 teenagers or something with this, what I could say is like this joy in their face. It's sort of they had light and light in their eyes and happiness. And I just saw something in them. I was like, you've got something I don't have. You know, although I kept it to myself. Um, and I'd go to the talks and I'd hear stuff and be like, yeah, this is making more and more sense. And it was on the third night there that I heard a talk on the, um, one of the leaders on the, on the camp gave a talk on the evidence for the resurrection where was the body of jesus because obviously history records an empty tomb the body of jesus it's never been produced never been found christians obviously claim he rose again from the dead but what's the evidence i never knew there was evidence i never knew that there was a strong case for yeah this is why there are christians in the world this is why the church exists you know that robbers didn't nick the body authorities didn't nick the body the disciples didn't nick the body they were terrified and as this guy was like Richard, he's a vicar actually, Richard Peniston, um, as he explained the case, it was like the veil was being lifted or taken away from my eyes. It was, it was like I was suddenly, the penny was dropping and I was suddenly grasping and realizing, oh my gosh, I think this might be true. I think Jesus might still be alive. And he finished his talk and I just remember sort of like, sort of feeling it now, like the the buzz, the goosebumps of the Holy Spirit of just, I didn't know it's the Holy Spirit at that point, but just the excitement of knowing, I think this is true. And my clear thought, all I remember thinking was like, if Jesus is alive, if it is true, then it means I can know him. And that is what I was excited about. And I went back to my room that night and midnight, I picked up my Bible, I read it for a bit. I had a Bible at that point, I hadn't done much reading of it, but I just opened it, read it for a bit. Then I closed it. I just remember being like, okay, now's the time. And I just let, was lying in my bed and I just prayed a prayer to the scene and said, God, I think you're real, but I don't know you. But I want to, you know, would you come into my life? Would you, yeah, just meet with me. I, I give you everything else. Everything else I look to for security, for identity, you know, the drink, the drugs, my mates, you know, good times, whatever it might be. You can take that if I need to turn away from it. I guess I was repenting at that point. I was having a change of mind and I was putting my faith, believing in Jesus. I said, but here I am, just I want you and none of, rather than any of this other stuff. And I felt so vulnerable, so exposed because I knew if nothing happens here, then it's over for me. The search is over because I don't know how to offer more of myself, more of my heart. 
Um, but as I did that, it was like I was falling backwards. You know, those corporate sort of trust exercises, they'll get you to hold your hands out by your side and fall backwards and someone will catch you and you're not meant to take a step back. Well, I felt I was falling backwards spiritually and like, if no one catches me, then that's it. But in that moment, just God, God met with me. He caught me. His Holy Spirit filled me. And just this sense of love and joy and peace and hope and everything I'd been looking for, a sense of fulfillment and fullness just came into me. And I just, everything changed from that moment. You know, that was, I was like, okay, it's real. God's, God's real. And I've, I've just, I've just met with him. So I went next door and woke up Dave at about 1230, you know, at night said, I think I've just become a Christian. He's like, great. Let's, let's talk about it in the morning. <laughs> Very wise. What a wise man. Had you ever felt anything like that before? No, no, no. I mean, nothing like that. I mean, obviously I'd had, you know, highs of other sorts, but no Holy Spirit um, moment. I mean, I tried to offer, I'd taken that, I, I'd sort of prayed prayers like that before in the six months, year before when I was searching, but I'd never fully meant it. I'd always been like, God, come into my life. I just want to know you. But in my heart, it's like, oh, I've got to go and meet the lads downstairs in five minutes, you know, go for a pint or go for a joint or whatever it was. You know, I, I was always, my hope and my security was still in other things. Uh, and so I never quite got there. But it was only when I felt fully, surrendered i guess would be the language and i was like lord i really really do just want you and you can have i you know i count the cost you can have everything else i leave it behind if only to find you and i think god rewards that god loves that he he, he wants to be sought and you know his word says he'll draw near to us if we'll draw near to him and that, that was my experience. And there was nothing like it, you know. And from that day, like the next day, I was buzzing. And I just, you know, my calling came in that moment. Like, I just want to tell people. And my little group of lads who in, in the sort of dorm, we were in separate rooms, but we met as a little house group each evening on the camp. And the next day, a couple of them were like, what has happened to you, Pat? Like, you're like a, you're like a light bulb. And I was like, I don't know. I think, you know, well, I've, I've met Jesus. I've come to faith, you know, and it's like getting plugged in. And I was literally like a different person. And I think people found it like, they're like, wow, okay, something has really happened. He is. He's what a lot was the nicer response? What was the response from family and friends at school? Was like, oh no, Pat's got a God. What's happened? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I didn't have that much longer at school to for everyone to really take it in we went back the next term and then it was sort of exams and revision and, and so obviously we had six seven eight weeks or something so people my mates did know and they realized it but i guess they probably thought it was a phase but some of them one or two of them who i spoke more deeply to were kind of like oh you know gosh you really have changed you know um and you've really taken this to heart and so it, it was most of them like like that's fine man good for you um, my family, it was, it was, yeah, it was quite tough. I think my mum found it particularly quite hard. Um, um, she's much more, um, yeah, she's much more on board nowadays, much more supportive, but it was certainly, it was difficult. Um, cause it, Did you think you joined a cult or something? Cause it wasn't sort of Church of England and nice and well behaved. I think possibly, although my mum's a Unitarian, um, 
her side of the family at all, sort of, um, which is far more cult-like than the Church of England, <laughs> in the sense of, um, well, gen gentle heresy. Not even gentle, Unitarian rather than Trinitarian. I love you, Mum, if you're listening. But um, so I think it was recognising I went away on this camp. I think it was hard because, like, I went on this thing and I came back a different person being very excited about Jesus and faith and religion in their eyes and no longer doing things that I used to do that they deemed normal. So I came back a little bit weird and abnormal in their eyes but i felt like now i've found the normal way of life which is to, to know god and experience his love so different points of, of view about who's in a cult <laughs> you said just then that you had a sense of calling straight away that i want to tell people about jesus how how did that pan out you you, you did did your a levels what happened after that yeah so i finished up um school and i had already applied to university to go and study divinity theology you know at this journey this time when i was looking at the big questions of life and philosophy and theology i just knew when well, i'm i'm thinking about it all the time anyway i might as well study it so i'd applied to do that um so i went uh, up to edinburgh university before that um my great friend dave and i he signed us up to do youth with a mission ywams um discipleship training school dts which i recommend everyone should do and that was life-changing i mean that was just like a fast track of download of understanding the christian life you know three months of input and lectures and teaching in cape town which always helps uh, right on the beach um and then Two and a half months on outreach, I, I went to Madagascar um, and traveling around sharing the faith. So it's just an amazing grounding. Went, did YWAM, then went up to University of Edinburgh, studied theology, and then came out from there and went to work at HDB, Holy Trinity Brompton, with their students. And sort of realized then that I was kind of like, yeah, this is this is the right path for me. This is the core, you know, I'm, I love it. All I want to do is, I felt called to be a preacher. I just want to share the faith. Um, but it wasn't quite the right time to go and get ordained. I never quite wanted to be a vicar. I wasn't quite sure of doing that. But um, so I went and did some other stuff first. As What did you do? Um, well, I flirted with a career in law because um, the people I most respected, you know, my leaders are most respected, especially at HDB. They'd been lawyers. They'd been barristers. My mum <laughs> was always like, you know, she could see I was probably heading down the vicar path and got a bit nervous, like, oh my gosh, it's not going to make you any money. She's like, you should be a barrister, you should be a barrister. You should be... And then I was like, okay, well, mum's saying it. Plus, Nikki Gumbel and Sandy Miller were both barristers. Maybe I'll go and be a barrister. So I, I went, it's a ridiculous idea when you, you know you're called to be a preacher to go and do two further years of study where you're paying money to do it and not getting paid. But I did a law conversion course, decided at the end of it, Felt the Lord say, Pat, you don't need to be Nicky Gumble. <laughs> so um, got freedom, uh, moved away from that, went and worked in my school for a year, my old school, back at Eton doing youth work to come alongside some of the teenagers and help them on their journey of faith. Um, it had been such a big thing for me. Um, did a year there. And then what I really just wanted was a job to pull on a suit, you know, have some early mornings, late nights, know what the gritty experience of it job in a secular workplace is like so i managed to get a job in financial pr somehow in the city 
um, which I was really, really bad at, um, but had a lot of fun and made some good mates and, um, yeah, was able to, I guess, share the faith a bit there. So did that before then feeling the Lord say, right, it's time to get going. And then sort of went off, did a year at Bible school and then began ordination training. Um, so yeah, that's my mini. So actually, quite so yeah, quite a, a a good journey. Knowing that must have been hard. Knowing knowing what you wanted to do, knowing what you were called to, but also just having to to wait. Yeah, and I sometimes look back and I'm like, did I do? Was that the right thing? You know, should I have just cracked on? You know, from if called to preach, you know, it's my favorite. I think Spurgeon quote, like if called to be a preacher, who would stoop to be a king? You know, it's like the greatest. <clears throat> Cool, great greatest honor and privilege to do it and i was ready to roll but maybe those experiences were also really important the fact that you've been I mean, around I learned, you know, yeah i did enjoy and learn a lot from all the other experiences and it is life experience and i think it especially to have a job like every other human experience i've sort of shared with everyone else and experienced like growing up going to school having family having friends blah blah, blah. but i hadn't had a job um and if you're going to spend your life then speaking to, preaching to people in the congregation from the pulpit, you know, who are, they're doing the nine to five, they're doing the late nights, they're doing their life in a, not in the Christian bubble, in the secular world where they're facing the tough questions and opposition. I do feel it's helpful to have had that same experience yourself, to know what it's like yeah. so that you can empathize and it would only make you a better connector and communicator hey this is sam really hope you're enjoying this conversation right here on the profile podcast today could you do me a favor right now it will take you just two seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast just a couple of seconds to give us a rating is so so helpful it helps other people to discover the show as well so if you could do that we would so appreciate it hello and welcome back to the profile here on premier christian radio i'm esther hyam Today on the programme, I'm speaking to the Reverend Pat Allerton, also known as the Portable Priest, after taking his ministry to the streets of Notting Hill, London, during lockdown, on his bike. In part one, we heard about his early life, how after being brought up in a family who weren't Christians, he came to faith in his teens through a school friend at Eton. He felt an early call to full-time ministry and evangelism, but first trained as a lawyer before finally becoming a vicar. He's going to be sharing some tips on evangelism and tell us the story of how he shared his faith with the pop superstar Kylie Minogue. But we pick up our conversation looking back to the spring of 2020, the start of lockdown. It was a surreal time when, you know, we went into lockdown. I mean, globally, everyone's sharing the same experience. But in the UK, we knew, OK, we're going into our homes and and everything's being shut and churches are being shut and even, you know, the, the Church of England, you know, saying vicars can't even go in their building to do a, a, a recording or a service. And just knowing, okay, we're shutting. I remember coming out of church one day and realizing, okay, we're, we're locking these doors behind me and we're not going to be gathering again within this building for some time. And I was just on the pavement. It was like beautiful weather that whole season, I remember. And I just remember an idea just dropping in my head, like, what about if I headed onto the streets, you know, um, of the parish? I just thought could, this could be a great way to engage with the parish and connect with the people here um, and just say hi um, and bring a bit of hope, a bit of joy, um, and also say, look, we'll see you on the other side. So I thought, 
you know, simple thought. What if what if I headed onto the streets with a speaker, a loudspeaker, played uh, a well-known hymn and led people in the Lord's Prayer? You know, that's not that offensive, you know, and it might even be a bit of fun and a bit distracting from the, the, the craziness that's going on. So that was just the simple thought, you know, and looking back now, I can kind of, and in my experience of when God speaks and gives ideas, it is often like just the smallest, quietest voice, you know, like the whisper to Elijah on the mountain. Um, and it that's what's scary because it's so easy to dismiss. You could so easily, I could so easily have thought, no, nah, it's a bit crazy. We're on lockdown. I should just stay in. No, nah, it sounds a bit hectic. But I was like, oh, that sounds quite a good idea. So then, yeah, sort of um, went about gathering the kit and heading out onto the streets. And first responses were? So the first day, my housemate um, and I, uh, well, I knew we would, we got the kit together, the speakers and the power cables um, and everything we'd need to, to set this kit up. And it was really, really was a loud, a loud sound system, like a 1K sound system. And we drove onto the Portobello Road and there's a little video on my Instagram actually of, of driving on. And I suddenly realized I haven't even picked a hymn. I, I always I sort of knew it has to be Amazing Grace because I felt, A, it's a brilliant hymn. It's loved by Christians, loved by the church, but it's also well known and loved by people outside the church. And they'll know it, they'll recognize it. And at the very least, it's a lovely piece of music. So we hopped on Spotify and, you know, raced through a few recordings like, no, 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 no. And then saw this name Judy Collins in this recording and I hit play. And we heard it. And I think we both got goosebumps and just realized this is the one, you know, and um, Judy's a folk singer from the 70s. And basically set up our kit, plugged in from a safe distance, wearing leather gloves to a member of our congregation who lived on the Portobello Road, handed them the plug. They plugged it in. We plugged in the speakers outside, introduced myself saying, hello, people of the Portobello Road. My name is Pat. Um, I'm a vicar in the Church of England. Actually, I'm your local vicar, your parish priest at St. Peter's. I hope you give us five minutes of your time. You know, these are strange times we're living in, but I'm just here to try and lift spirits, bring a bit of hope and join us together. So why don't you come to your windows, maybe your doorways? Um, we're going to just listen to a hymn, sing sing along if you'd like, join in a, a well-known loved hymn at the church, Amazing Grace, and then we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. But we'll keep silence for NHS, blah, 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 people who are sick, people who are grieving. And so plugged in, played, saw all these faces come to the windows, doorways, and yeah, and the music was so loud, but it just filled the whole, and I just imagine, we later found out that it would it would be heard like at least a kilometre in any direction from where it was played. It just went for, for miles. But saw these faces, and then at the end, you know, just you didn't quite know, like, are we going to be booed off stage? I'm going to have things thrown at me. But no, this little sort of ripple of applause kind of kicked off and some whoops and some cheers. And sort of knew in that moment, like, okay, there's a, these are weird, strange times, but God's hand, his favour seems to be on this to unlock hearts and just connect and meet with people. And that was the first of on the Portobello Road. Um, that's why I became known as the Portable Priest. I was the Portobello Priest before that for the sake of reaching out to my parish. But then some media outlet re-coined the phrase, re renamed me 
I think the Associated Press renamed me the, the Portable Priest, which is actually much more useful. But, you could have paid um, a lot of money for that rebranding. That was that was a gift. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, the idea totally took off. You did get lots of press attention, but more importantly, you did over 50 services like that around around your yeah, parish, including yeah, hospitals, like, Grenfell. What what are the what are the ones that stick out for you, the ones where you really felt God was at work? Yeah, so ended up going out 64 times. I mean, a few times to the same place. I went probably three times to the Portobello Road, but I'd done it about 11 times when a friend of mine messaged me and was like, Pat, you need to go to the hospitals. Um, and I just knew it was like, that was a God message, a God moment. I was like, yes, that's absolutely right. Um, and so went off that first time to Charing Cross hospital and set up um, stall outside it. And these the hospitals are vast buildings. They have to be, of course. And they look sort of impregnable. You can't see any human life from outside so i set it up and i you know you don't know if anyone's listening anyone's hearing anything or if I, whether it's just whether the sounds can even get in but i did it there and it was it just felt moving and it felt important you know that you're playing music to people in there who have covid you have all kinds of sicknesses but people who are fighting for their lives and it suddenly brought home like this is the message of hope we've got, the gospel we carry, is crucial. And I had debates in those early days, like, should I be outside? Should I be doing this? Is it an essential, you know, essential workers? Should I be? Um, it, it, and a lot of us as leaders and, and Christians were like, well, the gospel is essential work, isn't it? And we know it is. We believe it is. But outside hospitals was always where I was most touched and did it outside of prison and, like you say, in the shadow of Grenfell. And, but what I was most moved by were the messages I'd, I'd get on the other side, like doing it outside Charing Cross. Got a couple of messages, one from a nurse who said, thank you so much for playing Amazing Grace outside Charing Cross Hospital. At that moment, I was with a patient treating her who tragically went on to lose her life um, in her battle with COVID. Um, and I heard that music and I was bawling, crying. Um, Thank you so much. And another woman who wrote saying, we're not Christians, my family and I, but my uncle was in there, Charing Cross, when you played that. And he died the next morning from COVID-19. Um, to think that that hymn was the last thing that he may have heard on this planet um, brings warmth to my heart and a tear to my eye. And I was just like, do you know what? I that made it all worthwhile for me it was for those moments it was for especially for reaching people outside of the church outside the four walls maybe it's god's doing that he tipped us all outside of our four walls to actually show us we need to be reaching out more but that god met with people through this really rather weird <laughs> and weak and humble thing of riding around on a tricycle setting up a music stall and playing a hymn and leading a prayer but his presence again and again seemed to touch people. And that's that's why I did it. You know, that's why I would do it all over again. Now you're, you're doing lots of this stuff on Instagram, your little sort of one minute um, uh, chats, whether you're walking on the street, even on holiday. You didn't even give yourself a day off on holiday uh, to, <laughs> to do a little message. But what strikes me is um, you you're able to do it in a very accessible, user friendly, you know, uh, media savvy way. But you're always very clear 
to point people to Jesus, to point people to the Bible. How do you balance those two things or does it just come naturally to you? Well, I think that's where it helps having grown up in a non-Christian home and and none of my family still, apart from my dad, well done, keep going with the faith. Um, my dad sort of having a gentle faith. And none of my family still do. You know, it's a mystery. Like I'm like, Lord, why? Come on. Uh, I want more Christians in my family. Um, but when you grow up in that world and with that family, you know, families like that or friendship groups that don't have faith, I'm always asking myself, wondering, wrestling with, and not just, at, I, I do it individually, you know, in my own life, for my fr- family and friends, but I'm doing it also as a vicar now. And it's like, how can we as a church do it corporately? But how can we access, how, you know, people's lives? How can we make an impact, make a splash? How can we connect and show that this stuff is real and it makes a difference and that Jesus is alive? And so, yeah, I, I guess it, that tone of voice, if you like, or approach is just one that's been sort of shaped by being in circles and close contexts where people don't accept the faith, where they, they do have issues and they reject it. And one's constantly having to debate and reason and try and persuade. And I think we just live at a time where, you know, Peter's, you know, his, his words um, and advice of like do it with gentleness and respect you know we're i think living in a time where gentleness and respect is key with when we in just a plethora of views and worldviews and faiths and philosophies out there we offer ours with confidence but with gentleness and respect because people are a bit shaken up and they do need careful gentle handling um and uh, yeah and also just i hate religion i just hate dryness and dustiness and i just think just just go and be yourself and just communicate how you do you know and be your, you know be yourself yeah but I, I think what's interesting as well is that with all that in mind as well you're also quite unapologetic that it, it's about jesus you're, you're not kind of like yeah find the truth that's right for you you know you're you're you're, you're quite definite about it's about jesus and you can find him in the bible and you talk a lot in your in your book which we're coming to as well now about the difference between being spiritual and religious or talk to me about that you you even challenged Kylie Minogue about it in a bar I gather as well the difference about being spiritual and and finding Jesus tell me about that (laughs) uh yeah well I think the the book starts by basically saying look this isn't a book for religious people but by all means read it if you are this isn't a book for those with faith but I hope it encourages you if you have it. it it says this is a book for the searching ones the seekers those who know there must be more it's basically written for my friends and my family and, and many people we all know who aren't anywhere faith-wise, but they wouldn't say they're atheists. They'd more be like agnostics. Like, I think there must be something there, but I don't know what it is. Or they'd say, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. You know, I think there's a there's an awakening going on at the moment about people just recognizing there's more. I want to connect, but I don't quite know how. And this, the book is for them. And yeah, so it's, it's for the Kylies of this world who, yeah, that was um, a time, I think I was 25 and at a friend's birthday party in South Kensington, some bar and the word got out. We were upstairs in the dining room and, and the word got out that that some celebrities were on the middle floor, like Jamiroquai was there, which is like, he's a hero of mine, great music. Uh, and that Kylie was there. I was like, oh, great, let's try and a few of us, like, let's go and get in there. 
so we sort of gave the bounce on the door the slip and we crept in and and the evangelist in me was like right i'm not going to miss this opportunity so i turned around and, and approached her and then one of her bouncers like one of her henchmen sort of stepped in with his shoulder to block my part i was like oh hi mate um i was like i was i didn't know what to say. i was like i was just hoping to have a word with the lady i mean what a ridiculous <laughs> expression with the lady. i like your style <laughs> and amazingly like i think god opened the door he sort of like just tilted his head cocked, you know his eye and dropped his shoulder and let me in and there she was so i then was like um oh <laughs> hi oh uh hi kylie um my name's pat um this might sound weird to you but i just felt you know i wanted to take this opportunity to tell you um that god loves you um and then i sort of was filling the gap i was going you probably you probably don't even believe in god i don't know that probably sounds weird to you do do, do you believe in god and she was like i believe we all have spirituality and i was like yeah yeah spirituality yeah because um i believe you know that you can be spiritually connected and, and know god and his love through jesus because he's alive and i just wanted you to know that um and uh, i hope that wasn't too weird and she's like thanks very much you know and then i just yeah lost my nerve and was like okay thanks bye and then just <laughs> left when you i didn't lead her in the sinner's prayer come on <laughs> i could have led her in the sinner's prayer we could have chatted about neighbors or some of her music but i was off but i sometimes wonder like that's a seed sown and it's you know i know she she battled cancer and you never know what what people hold on to or what they come back to so yeah, that, that is was... a brilliant answer and I think that will have um, that will have inspired lots of people as well because it is the conversation you get into isn't it in pubs in bars whether it's with a celebrity like Kylie or, or Bob who lives down the road people will say yeah I'm spiritual I'm open but I think sometimes as Christians and, and I'm probably the worst of them um you know we get a bit tangled up in the kind of oh yeah I don't want to you know I want to respect your boundaries and all the rest of it that's a very clear message yes yeah, spirituality is great you can be connected through Jesus what about it and I think we all need a bit more of that so give me another tip for how what about the person that says oh I wish I had your faith yes well I think the line with that is you can have it you can have my faith or or our faith I, there's a great verse in I'm just going to say the New Testament because I can't remember if it's Ephesians or uh, Colossians anyway it, it talks about um, that you learnt the faith from Epaphras that faithful servant and I've always been struck by that the fact that you know you learnt the gospel sorry from Epaphras that the gospel can be taught people can learn it it's, a, it's not like a gene I say in the book it's not like oh you've got brown eyes I've got blue eyes I wish I had brown eyes but I don't I missed out on that gene Faith is not like a gene that you're born with, with or without. It's some, the faith and the gospel is something you can learn. And I would say to people who, and people come to me that whole time, like, no, I wish I had that faith, but I just don't. It's like, well, you could have it if you put yourself in the way of it. If you come and explore the faith, come and ask your questions at Alfred, come to church on Sunday, come and hear a message of hope, you know, teaching preaching from god's word because that is the place where faith comes alive you know the seed of faith is planted in our hearts and so i'd always just push back i think you're right i think sometimes we lose our nerve and we're not bold enough that we have words of hope and people are looking for hope at the moment 
and we can be a bit more direct and just say that you can know this. Can I pray for you? Like, and just offer to pray for people. Because it's a touch of God's presence will change someone's life. And I think we just need to take those risks a bit more. You're ministering in, in Notting Hill, you know, key, it's, it's trendy, it's wealthy, but it's also multicultural and it has, you know, fair share of, you know, it's a big thriving city area. You're, you're having this engagement and opportunity with the media. So you're very plugged into what's happening in our nation. What's your sense of what God is doing and what we need to do to play a part in that? I think there clearly you know, these are tough, challenging times and there's a shaking going on, you know, on the back of COVID, you know, sort of just getting that in the rear view mirror. And then there's the cost of living crisis. There's war in Europe. There's all kinds of stuff that is going on. And I just feel we know we're in the end times, but how close we are to Jesus returning, I don't know. But there's a shaking going on. And as people feel shaken, they, I believe, will look more and more for answers or for something that doesn't shake and we know the rock um the rock that is jesus the unmoving one the unchanging one and the more we stand on that rock and find our security in him our hope in him and just have that peace that passes understanding the more we just do that and abide in him and let his life fill us i think the more those around us will will look to us and look to the church and ask what have you got? You know, because I need that because I'm freaking out here, you know. So I think at this time, you know, the battle is raging. Things are shaking. Many will harden to the gospel. And we see the world going further and further away from God's standards and God's word um, and even battles in the church over that sort of stuff. Many will harden, but many will soften. And I think there'll be huge opportunities for us for the church for us as christians to to just reach out and um yeah bring the good news to to those around us so the what is what are your hopes for the book the, the book is great it's it's an easy easy to read but with with good truths in it, an a to z of big questions from uh freedom forgiveness and faith that's your f's uh, and uh, uh success sacrifice vulnerability all the, all these kind of big questions of life what, what's your hope for how people will respond to the book well like i say and i say it in the intro and say it again here but it's it's really not written for christians first and foremost although i hope all of your listeners will get it hester um but i do i it is written to be a book we as christians can give away to our friends our family those who are far from the church because i think i i hope it, it just captures just nuggets of the gospel in every chapter there are 50 chapters about life's biggest and deepest issues that we all face as human beings and every chapter looks at how we all wrestle with this stuff we all look for answers sometimes we look in the wrong place and it doesn't work but each chapter talks about the difference faith um, and hope in Jesus and the gospel can make and how it changes how we think about life, how we go about life, our experience in our heart. Um, and so my hope is that it accesses just many non-Christian bookshelves, basically, not just bookshelves, but gets in the hands of lots of people who are seeking, who are searching, who don't know God, who are looking for answers who are looking for hope, who are desperate at the moment. And it's, it's a very 
sort of gentle way in to that you know that it, it won't just be on in the Christ, christian bookshops you know our aim and the publisher's aim is for it to be in waterstones and not just end up in the self-help section but i i hope that it will be something that people who need to hear the gospel will pick it up and they'll realize oh my gosh i never thought of it like that i'd never known that that was what christians believe that sounds like something i want for myself what's next for you after after the book you're about to become a dad so that's going to take up a lot of your uh, time and energy but what you, what do you feel god is calling you on to next gosh um it's a really good question and yeah those are two massive things i mean obviously uh, becoming a dad is is far bigger and our little girl is due to arrive on the 11th of november and the book's out on the 24th so it's a sort of race we'll see maybe they'll come out on the same day that would be uh, quite a lot to deal with but i don't know i mean the, the moment st peter's church it's just really exciting we're we're seeing growth we're seeing people come to faith you know some people get healed it's exciting to be just reaching out and doing ministry in this part of london i am excited you know and a little bit daunted by the book coming out i've never done one I, you know it's you definitely feel like you're putting yourself out there and feeling vulnerable about how it will be received you know um how it will go down but it, i just know it was right to do it that the lord was in it and i'm just going to trust he's opened all every in my life i've just seen him open door after door he's opened all the doors and he'll lead me where he wants me next and perhaps this book will play a part in that perhaps it will open another door i haven't even thought of but i've enjoyed i enjoyed the writing process i could imagine writing more um we'll see see what the critics say but um i'm just going to get on doing what i'm called to do which is telling people about jesus whoever will listen and that could be you know um 10 people uh, in a room or it might be you know 10,000 people on on TV i don't mind i just like talking about jesus and and sharing the gospel and i'll do that wherever the lord uh, sends me you've been listening to the profile in association with premier christianity magazine